We have been journeying through the season of Advent, a time when we look back on the birth of Jesus and celebrate that he came here to live with us, to die for us, to be raised again. And as we look back, we also look forward to his return when he will come here to take us all home. And during this time, we look at four different gifts uh, that we receive during Advent. We've looked at uh, hope and, and peace, and today we look at joy. And we've seen the challenge, and the, and the challenge for us is to live with the end of the story in mind. That as much as we are living our lives and doing the things that we do here, that, that, that our real life is to come, that, that God is returning for us. And we can be very present-minded people. We get caught up in all the things that are going on in our lives and all of the things that demand our attention. But in the coming of Jesus, we are reminded that this world is broken in need of a Savior, and the good news is that Savior has come. And that our lives are not lived as if this present reality is what our story is all about. <clears throat> Instead, we get to live with a different ending in mind, knowing that Jesus will come and take us to the place that God has prepared for us. So the future informs our present reality. We know that the kingdom is coming, but we also declare that the kingdom is here now. And we have talked about how hope is, is not like the hope that we put in things here, that the hope we have in God is different and more vast. How the peace that we have is different than the peace we can find here because there's a peace that is present through all circumstances. And today we talk about joy. The characteristic you most often think of when you think of me. <laughs> when I was in high school, uh, I spent uh, a couple of months on the speech team. And one of my teachers talked me into being on the team, and she put me in the category of original oratory, which means I was to write an eight-minute speech, memorize it, and then present it in these competitions. Uh, I saw the speech at the time as an opportunity for me to tell people about why faith in God was so important to my family, and so I prepared it, and it was a magnum opus <laughs> of speechifying. Um, it was one of epic grandeur, running the audience through the full range of emotions, and, and I was feeling those emotions as well, but of course no one could tell by looking at me. And I still remember the first line to that speech. Here is how I started it. Are you ready? Okay. My grandfather died when my father was nine. That was my opening statement to my speech. I wish I was kidding about that, but no, that was really it. So I went with my team to the first competition and I was tearing it up, leaving people in my wordy dust, awing the judges at every turn. And my coach thought that I was sure to win, but I was not the only member of my team competing in that event. There was another. She was short and spunky, with red hair and an effervescent attitude. Her speech was not on life, death, faith, or any such thing, she had the audacity 
to write a speech about smiling. How you smile, why you should smile, why smiling is good, etc. She delivered her speech with great energy and, dare I say it, even joy. She smiled most of the time, which I thought was a little on the nose, but whatever. We got to the awards ceremony, and they awarded third place to some schmuck from another school, and they awarded second place to me, the joyless wonder. And first place went to the girl who talked about smiling, and it was that moment that set me on the path to combat smiling and joy in all of its forms and to be an enemy of joy whenever possible. We all are formed by our childhood, right? Joy is sometimes a difficult emotion for us to grasp. And uh, I think that there are several reasons for me why joy is, is difficult for me to grasp, and you might resonate with some of these. Uh, number one, my brain is constantly whirring and churning. Um, this means that I, I, I'm always thinking about what I need to do, what our travel plans are, who's taking Zeke to practice, how so-and-so is doing, if my mom's doing okay, how much our PG&E bill is this month, which let me tell you, we need prayers about that. The list goes on and on and on. And it's difficult for me, with my mind doing this all the time, to sort of live in a moment and appreciate what that moment is about or for. Number two, I am often anxious about the things that happen in this life. It's a part of the human condition uh, for us to worry and be anxious about what is ahead of us. And yes, I have an anxiety disorder and I take medication to help with it, uh, so maybe in some ways my, medic my anxiety is a little worse than others, but maybe the difference between those who have anxiety, like me, and those who don't is that one group is not as good at hiding their anxiety as the other. <laughs> Number three, I feel the burden of life. And I don't mean that I feel being alive is a burden, but I do feel like I often feel the weight of my life, of my choices, of what I'm responsible for. I'm responsible for you, this church. I'm responsible for my kids growing up to be people that others like to be around. I'm responsible for making a living and paying bills in college and retirement, which is now going to PG&E. <laughs> there is a lot about life that is heavy and sometimes that weight keeps me from experiencing joy. These, these things and others, they, they make it difficult for me to have the joy that I think I should have based on some sort of idealized view of what joy is. And if my de definition of joy means that I'm not supposed to feel those things, the worry, the weight, the anxiety, if my definition of joy excludes all of that, then those things which I cannot avoid have some power over me, you see. They have the ability to steal any possible joy away from me. And all of us have things like these in our lives, things that steal the joy away from us. So what is it for you? Is it stress? Is it worry? 
Is it anxiety? Is it the weight of life? So, I don't want my joy to be that frail. You know what I'm saying? So I need to change my perspective a little bit. Let's look at Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. We can learn just about everything we need to know about joy from those words. There is much to hope for. There is much peace to be found. There is joy to be had in the goodness and love of God. Amen? Amen. Which sounds great, uh, but it doesn't tell me how to have joy. I need a manual. I need five easy steps to joy. If we can cut it down to three, that's even better. So maybe I need to first look at my definition of what joy is. So here are the definitions from uh, the dictionary. Uh, Joy as a noun is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. The verb of joy is to experience great pleasure or delight. So, if we take this psalm that we just read, Psalm 146, as a starting point, then joy is found not in the next moment going right, but in knowing the outcome of the story. Now, those two definitions we just went over, I don't, I don't really like them that much. And it's for this reason. Uh, the first definition, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, it seems a little bit too me-centric to be a definition that I'm really comfortable with. Like, because basically the impetus to feel good about something is on me. And I don't like the second definition because it portrays joy as a feeling that we have in one moment and then quickly goes away. And to me, joy has to be more than that, more than just this moment that comes and goes. 
Now, there are obvious shortcomings to those definitions, that joy is fleeting, a flash in the pan, a moment of elation in the midst of difficulty. But when we look at joy in the Bible, it talks about something different when it talks about joy. I think there is something different about, fundamentally different, about the joy that we have in Jesus versus the joy that we talk about here in this world. So what is the difference between Jesus' joy and regular old unleaded joy? I think what we see throughout Scripture is that joy is not found in instant gratification. It's, it is not a product of the next moment. But instead, joy is found in, in those who belong to God being able to understand who God is and what God is doing, even if the next moment is not so wonderful. There are definitely moments of great joy throughout the Scripture, but there is also recognition that the next moment, whatever happens next, may not be capable of giving you the joy that you need or the joy that you want. That just as God lifts us up, life pulls us down. If you are waiting for the next moment or the next thing to go right to bring you joy, then joy may be something you chase the rest of your life and never find. See, I'm already, like, happy. See how, see how upbeat we are about this? So joy in the Bible is not found in your next moment. It is found in knowing what God is doing for the world. Because God is constantly moving in this world, and it is that movement of God, even when our life seems to be moving in the wrong direction, it's being able to look up to God and to see what he's doing that brings us real joy because that is the greatest and most lasting joy knowing that no matter what happens god is moving to love and to redeem and to make things new and that our next moment is not in fact writing our story but god himself is your next moment may be a disaster let's hope it's not for me at least until you know i get off the stage your next moment may be a disaster, but the story that God is writing for you is unshakable. And it is always there. It's always there. We may not see it so clearly all the time, but it is always there. In contrast, as Don mentioned this morning, it is not joy, but happiness that is about the next moment. Joy is not happiness. Our happiness is dependent upon things lining up for us. We are happy when there is no traffic or a store has something on sale or we get our favorite food for lunch or our team wins a football game or whatever it may be. These moments of happiness come to us. But happiness really lasts just for that moment and then has to be reinforced with something bigger and better. And I think this may be why I have struggled with joy throughout my life, is that if my next moment is stressful, it's not going to make me happy. And if I don't feel happy, then do I have joy at all? 
I'm wrong when I think this. Because the thing about joy, as we see it in the Bible, is that joy is transcendent. Meaning that it is bigger than whatever the next moment may bring, or even what our happiness may or may not say to us. You can be, get this, a joyful person, even if you don't feel happy. You can. You can be a joyful person even if you don't feel happy. And, and to be fair, right, joy, this sort of feeling of elation, it, it is not something we're going to feel all the time. And if joy is dependent upon our feelings, then we have limited it tremendously. When we feel true joy like the kind we have in God, However, it is something that lifts us up over the present moment and lets us see the bigger picture. So ultimately, this means that joy can be present even when things are not giving us joy. This means that we can be in the middle of the worst and still feel joy because joy is not, cannot be dependent upon better circumstances. So Bryce, you're wondering, can't I have good things happen to me and just feel joy? Why are you complicating this so much? Well, I'm glad you asked. Of course you can. But just like with peace and hope, the joy that we have in Jesus transcends what goes on around us, and that is what makes it so special. Is that the joy we have in God is not dependent upon the next thing going right. It is more than that. It is not a joy that says, man, my life stinks, but I'm sure happy about it. That's not accurate. It's a joy that says, instead, my life is not determined by the next moment going right. And in fact, get this, the next moment cannot take from me what God has given to me. That's pretty good news. It really is. Now, this is hard for us to remember. That joy is not happiness. That things here on earth, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, that things here on earth are going to fail us in one way or another. John the Baptist had come and gone before Jesus to prepare the way for him. He lived that glamorous life in the wilderness. And he found himself in prison, and he sent his disciples out to find Jesus. From Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, I find this episode fascinating for a couple of reasons, right? John, if you, as you know the story, John came before Jesus. Uh, John uh, leapt in the womb 
in his mother's womb when, um, when baby, you know, little embryo Jesus was there. Uh, all, these, all these things had happened, and, and he went before Jesus. He pointed to Jesus, the lamb. He did all of these different things. But when life went haywire and he found himself in prison, what did he start thinking? Well, what if Jesus isn't the one? John, you're the one who told us he's the one. What do you mean, is he the one? What happened to John? He wasn't where he thought he would be. And he wasn't in the circumstances he thought he would be in as the one who went before Jesus. Jesus' response is interesting to him. To me, I should say. Um, Because his response is, open up your eyes and look around you and see what God is doing. I know you're in a prison cell right now, but get this. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And John, you may be in prison, but just look at what God is doing. It's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't promise to change John's circumstances. I'm on my way, buddy. going to break you out. No, instead, he acknowledges that while John may be in that spot, that God is working and active. And I would like to think, though we're not necessarily told that, that John rejoiced over hearing about what God was doing and that his part of the story wasn't all there was. When we learn to embrace All that we have in God, it is then that we are able to start experiencing true joy. It's it's one of the hallmarks of God, being real and present, that there will be restoration and there will be joy. And we have been reading passages from Isaiah where the prophet envisioned what it will be like when God was restored to his people once more. And these images, these things that we're talking about, as much as they encourage us, they were that much more encouraging to the people of God as they struggled and hurt, as they found themselves in exile under the power of other places, not knowing what their identity was. There was the constant call that God is still moving and working. From Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongues shout for joy. 
Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. This tells us a story. It tells us a story just like Psalm 146 tells us a story. And the story it tells is that when God returns, what is going to happen to the way that things are in this world? All of these things around us that steal our happiness or steal our joy, all these things around us that beat us up from one moment to the next, they are all flipped on their heads. Because when God returns, all of the things that are broken and cause pain, all that has set his people back, all will be changed. The desert won't even be the desert anymore when God returns. Which makes me realize then that I have more joy than the average bear. And it was silly of me to think that just because I don't smile as much as my speech nemesis, that I don't have joy. It's silly of me to think that I have to go around pretending like there's nothing wrong in order to have joy. It's silly of me to think that I shouldn't worry about anything because I have joy. Because that's not the story the Bible tells us. The story the Bible tells us is that joy is there for you all along. Because your joy, yours, is not dependent on this world getting things right. It's not dependent on you getting things right. Instead, you are part of the story. A story that says that when God returns to his people, that all will be made new. The very nature of everything is going to change when he comes. And that can give you joy no matter what the circumstances are. It can. The perspective that those we love, even though they may be hurting even though they may be sick, even though they may be close to death, that there is a bigger story than them just dying. There's, there is something, there is something so much more available to us. And so we say, come Lord Jesus. 
Make it quick if you can. Because we long for the day when these things that God has promised will come to be. And God longs for the day where he alone can wipe our tears away and put an end to all that keeps us from realizing the joy we have in him.